0: This is KCLR's Bottom
1: Line with John Purcell.
0: Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the South largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie.
1: Hello, good morning and welcome to the Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Aisling Kelly. In for Brian Redmond on the breakfast buffet this morning. Great job, Ashling, And looking forward to having Brian back next Saturday morning for Ireland's easiest quiz. I hope we find you well on this bright Saturday morning, as well as Ireland versus the All Blacks. Not going too well for Ireland at the moment, but we'll keep you posted until 10 o'clock. It's a huge sporting weekend across Kilkenny and Carlow. The big matches see Kilkenny take on Clare in the All-Ireland Hurling season. Semi-final, while Kilkenny senior Camogie team take on Galway in their quest for All Ireland glory. Fingers crossed and toes for the black and amber in both games, and you can hear all the action on Casey Lore. out the road in Thomastown. Thousands of golf fans are converging on Mount Juliet for the Irish Open, while many more will be glued to the action on television across Ireland and the world as Seamus Power leads the Irish charge for glory. In which, in what Shane Lowry has called the fifth major means a lot to the Irish players. The event is a major business showcase for Mount Juliet, Thomastown Kilkenny and indeed Ireland and later in the programme we'll be hearing from businesses in Thomastown about how they're finding it. Edwina Grace has been out for us chatting to local businesses. We'll also talk to TV presenter Anna Daly about her new career direction with the growth and success of her Little Bliss ethical clothing brand and I'll talk to regular bottom line contributor Alan Seary of O'Neill Foley about his office move to the new brew house office building the first development in the much anticipated abbey quarter in Kilkenny city centre why the move during uh, a time when the future of the office has seemed in doubt and how does he see the future of his company and of business in general but first joining me on the phone to chat about a few business issues catching his eye is simon o'dwyer managing director of kilkenny based marketing and brand agency 360 good morning simon morning simon morning can you hear me yeah i can yeah a bit of a glitch there on the line uh it's a sign of the times and the quality of phone lines often these days how you find it <laughs> uh, oh it's uh it's generally good we've got
2: we've got we're looking at times and we have reasonable broadband here so it's not too bad
1: good and hopefully it'll be reasonable throughout our chat i was i was talking about the golf there simon uh at the start um big mm-hmm. weekend are you a golfer yourself
2: I am a golfer, yeah, 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 and absolutely uh, fascinated by uh, the weekend. Uh, I think, you know, there was such a fantastic finish uh, by Shane Lowry uh, yesterday evening to uh, get those four birdies on the last four holes to make the weekend. It just really seemed to be a great buzz out there and I understand that it's sold out for the weekend, and uh, I'm going to head down myself uh, tomorrow.
1: Should be good. Do drop by Mm the Casey Law outside broadcast unit. We'll be there for the weekend. And it's been really... um, I I was listening to Sue Nunn on Thursday, and she was looking at everybody coming off um, the 18th, looking very glum after Porrick Harrington had, uh, I think, um, fluffed a shot, and uh, people really felt it. It's a really exciting game and great to see up close.
2: Yeah, it's brilliant. And like, I've got so many photographs of friends who sent me photographs of their kids who have been out there and have, uh, you know, got their got autographs and you know, kind of signed things from from the golfers. So the golfers themselves, particularly the Irish golfers, seem to be making a, a big effort to kind of engage uh, and, and kind of thank the fans for for their attendance
1: yeah because that whole side of it is huge as well and i and i heard um uh during the week as well on on kclr some australian people who come all the way from australia to spend three weeks in ireland golfing it's huge business
2: uh, it's massive business and I think what adds an extra bit of spice to this weekend is the fact that the uh, Irish Open uh, is going up uh, kind of head-to-head with the second of the Saudi-backed uh, live golf events which is uh, taking place in the States at the moment.
3: Mm. So
2: that uh, whole uh, development around this kind of new tour has certainly added a, a little bit of extra spice and, it, and to be honest has probably negatively impacted the quality of the field in the Irish Open probably a few players uh, that should be there, including like our own uh, Graham McDowell, mm. uh, but who have elected to play on the on the Live Tour and uh, seem to have chased the money uh, uh, in terms of what where they're going with their careers now.
1: Yeah, your company, your your marketing and brand uh, experts, mm. and work with a range of uh, businesses. It's really interesting from the point of view of sports brands and personal mm. brands of golfers. Um, you know, much talk about this Live Golf is basically Saudi Arabia seeking to. Burnish its brand and make themselves a bit kind of um, better on the world stage. Uh, discussions about how personal brands will be affected for golfers because they're basically been wooed by money. By uh, you know, what are your what's your take on all that?
2: Uh, listen, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating thing because it's, it's just really about a battle for, uh, for reputation. So you've got reputation around on the Saudi side and then you've got the personal kind of professional kind of sports brands of the, of, of the golfers themselves. But really, if we, if we had a quick look at the kind of the Saudi thing first, you know, uh, in terms of just like contextualizing what they're doing, like in, in, in 2016, they set out a kind of a new vision uh, for Saudi, which would enable them to kind of diversify uh, their economy away from oil. Uh, and they uh, they built a sovereign fund of 500 billion dollars.
1: Uh, uh, sorry, did you say billion, there, uh, Simon? Billion. 500 billion. billion wow.
2: Billion dollars to, uh, to to make this kind of uh, to, this diversification happen, and part of that uh, diversification strategy was around repositioning Saudi Arabia as a forward-thinking kind of business-friendly uh, country. And then so part of that positioning, then, if we drop down one more level, is this use of sport to change perception around the world of, of Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia has a, a particularly like a kind of a horrific uh, human rights record, be that about women, about gay rights. Uh, they're very heavily involved in Yemen. Uh, and obviously, then the kind of the big kind of headline piece is, is around that Khashoggi murder um, Uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, where the journalists who
1: went into their embassy in Turkey ended up dead, mm -hmm. and his body has never been found.
2: Exactly, exactly. So since 2016, then, uh, from this fund, then the Saudis have spent about $1.5 billion on, you know, using sport to change perception. Now, using sport to change perception around countries isn't anything new. I mean, I think maybe like the 1936 Olympics in in Germany would have been like an effort uh, to to use sport to you know kind of to sell a vision of a uh, uh, of a country and then obviously since then you would have the likes of the Beijing Olympics like Russia that kind of hosting of mm. these big events being used as a like it, it may be like seen as propaganda but really it's more of a, a soft shift around uh, around per- perception you know?
1: and i suppose that so begs the whole question can you throw enough money at something creating a brand and turn black into white so make a, a regime that um you know kills people turn into a sort of a progressive communicating brand how much do people have to walk the talk in branding
2: uh, well, I, I, I think the answer to the first question is, is yes, you can, uh, with enough money and enough time. You know, um, so I think that while we probably won't see the impact of the uh, investment in sports society happening now and the kind of current perception is there, I think that and, I, I, and you would the concern would be that the kind of the awareness uh, around the human rights thing would kind of erode over time. Yeah, so to like just be drowned example, out like, by pictures
1: of golfers shaking hands with cheeks
2: Exactly, so ultimately what, what ends up happening is that conversations around Saudi. Uh, with the Saudi word in it and the Saudi name, to become not about human rights and the conversation shifts to uh, to, the, to to golf. But like, it's not just golf, and and that's the interesting thing. I mean, like the Saudis have invested in like horse racing, they've in in wrestling, uh, in Formula One, mm. they've invested in the Spanish soccer league, they bought Newcastle last year. So this is like golf is only like one part of an overall kind of a, like strategy around their reputation and brand.
1: Yeah, and then,
2: and, and and like. And the interesting thing is that in in those other sports, they've generally invested in the existing structures or the existing organizations in those sports. But with golf, they tried to invest in in the European Tour. They tried to invest in uh, the PGA Tour, uh, and they were uh, refused on both. And so what they did is then they set up this kind of rival league uh, a rival
1: tour mm, So and, it'll be very yeah, interesting yeah so kind of a, a feeling that if you're looking at brands and you're looking at ethical brands and we'll be talking about an ethical clothing brand uh, later there's a big battle uh, and sport you know who's playing and who's not that, that belies a, a much bigger issue behind the scenes and looks like the live golf is going to be the battleground
2: for it. Exactly that exactly that and uh, whilst we don't know like how well, it's going to, like, develop and, 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 and seed. I mean, obviously, I, I, still, I, just think it's a, I just think it's a matter of time, and I just think that as more of the top 100 golfers in the world transfer over and they chase these books. Now, remember, like, some of these golfers are being paid $200 million uh, to transfer onto this tour. So that's a lot of money, considering, like, Tiger Woods won $120 million in in uh, career earnings uh, over his career. Wow. So, you know, the money is, is, is just, like, astronomical, you
3: know. Yeah.
1: It just shows you, yeah. Uh, just quickly, um, Simon, I, I mentioned at the start about uh, offices and the future of offices and so on. Um, I spoke to you throughout the pandemic, uh, and and we were at different phases. We were at pure office, we were at hybrid, we were at uh, slow return, all those different things. How are you getting on yourself in three hundred and sixty? And what are you deciding to do about the office?
2: Yeah, well, well, last year we took the de- we took the decision to like proactively, you know. Go to a, a remote working model. so we've left we've left our office on the parade and uh, we are working uh, completely uh, remotely now. Uh, and mind you, we have kind of like little structures uh, within the work uh, work month that we do we do face-to-face meetups. And then, obviously, like our client interactions would still be face to face. So, like we do, we would do like workshops. Uh, we would host working meetings, and obviously, you'd have like client meetings. So they would generally take place in in venues around town. So, for example, we we use uh, Butterhouse uh, quite a bit, um, uh, which is like an excellent venue for doing workshops.
1: Hmm. And and con- very conducive, you know, nice nice location. So, uh, but but um, it's interesting. I have the feeling it's not really a, a cut and dried issue really into the future though we're in a dynamic environment as regards the future of the office but spaces will always be important and face to face meeting with colleagues and all that sort of stuff is going to be critical
2: oh listen at that very functional level really important I, I think especially if you're in the kind of business that might uh, be onboarding kind of graduates and younger people so it's, it's important to have a place but also their expressions of a brand so you know that's why so much money goes into uh designing kind of office spaces and workspaces because ultimately they're a great way to kind of showcase your brand and express your brand uh, both from like to, from a customer's point of view but also in terms of your employees so you know just building that kind of brand culture within the bit. so you know you may, you may be able to have meetings here or meetings there but what you're losing is like a very important weapon uh, in terms and your armory in terms of brand uh, development.
1: Yeah, well, look, fascinating, and Simon, love to talk to you about more issues. But unfortunately, we're out of time. But do join us again on the bottom line, and we'll discuss uh, how the live golf tour is getting on and other stuff. Simon O'Dwyer from 360, thanks a million. Thank you, Milne. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Talk to you, bye. That's Simon O'Dwyer there. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Alan Siri from O'Neill Foley about that very thing, The Office. Do stay tuned.
2: The Bottom Line on
0: KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.
2: Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. You're
1: listening to Casey Lord. the bottom line here, John Purcell, until 10 o'clock on the programme For and About Business. Now, uh, during the week, Carlo Chamber of Commerce launched business awards and lots of really interesting uh, categories from the Business Supporting the Community Award, Customer Service, Research Innovation and Technology awards, Sustainability Initiatives, and so on. The closing date for nominations is the 15th of August. It sounds like it's a fair bit away, but you want to be getting your thinking cap on. Because because it all culminates on the 29th of September in the Visual Centre for Contemporary Art and the George Bernard Shaw Theatre. It's good, it's back. Um, It was online last year and uh, there was another one the previous year also online but we'll be back for an in-person event. So do get your uh, nominations and your thinking cap on. There are uh, 22 different award categories so something for everybody there. Uh, so uh, do check out uh, Carlo Chambers website and you'll get more about that. As I was mentioning uh, before the break, Alan Seary, who's an accountant, is a regular contributor to this programme and indeed the accountancy company where he's a partner, O'Neill Foley, are involved as sponsors of this programme. As well as that, Alan and O'Neill Foley are the first company to move into the brew house, the first development to get up and running in the Abbey Quarter, the multi-year, multi-million development in the heart of Kilkenny city on the site of the now closed guinness brewery so we thought it would be interesting to check out uh, what it's like down there in the first uh, business up and running in the abbey quarter so during the week i met alan in o'neill foley's new office to talk to him about the move what it involved and how it fits into the company's plans for the future and i started by asking him to tell me about the rationale for the move and how it came about
3: We started looking at this back in January 2020, which was pre-COVID, and uh, we were previously based, as you know, in Patrick's Court in Kilkenny, just on Patrick's Street, which is a great office, great location, um, but we just were running out of space to grow. Um, there was might have been an opportunity to grow in that building, but just the configuration of the building didn't really suit for, you know, people working together um, in teams and so on. So we had a look at this place here back in January 2020 and saw the plans for us, and we're very excited about it, um, and obviously it took a while to get from that point to here due to COVID and so on, but we're very happy to be here now. Just tell us a bit about the history of O'Neill Foley. Uh,
1: I've been quite surprised at the longevity of the firm, but you've been around quite a while and through quite a few different economic cycles.
3: We have. So the firm is over 60 years old uh, at this stage, John, and um, it's evolved over a number of years through uh, partners, um, that's what's coming in, jo- coming and retiring, and so on. And um, so, at uh, the we have five partners. And um, we're looking to grow that in time. And that's one of the, re- no, one of the other reasons why we're we've moved down here. That we're looking to hopefully grow organically, provide more services and provide career opportunities for people joining that they can see a kind of pathway to, you know, right to the top of um, the, the tree, so to speak, career wise, with, with ourselves. And um, so, initially. Um, uh, during my tenure we, we had about 30 people so over the last 20 years we've grown to, you know probably you know doubled our doubled our size and uh, that's what we're hoping to do here as well.
1: Um, before we talked about that you mentioned it was January 2020 when this place uh, just popped onto your radar. Um, a few weeks after that COVID started popping onto our radar and soon after that the whole working from home became uh, uh, a thing. Um, during that time, there was speculation, and, and indeed, many people put it across as fact that the future of the office was was gone. That you know, people wouldn't be working in offices. Did that cause you um,
3: second thoughts at all, or why did you forge ahead? It certainly did forge, uh, or sorry, causes you know some thoughts. All right, but, um and the reason why we forged ahead, John, was that uh, working home is. Was a good solution to work around COVID Um, and it certainly maybe stood the test of time since then. But if you think about what's happened, um, you know, there's been a move from complete working from home to hybrid working. For a firm like ourselves, where we have a lot of trainees, um, it's very difficult to train people remotely Um, and even just to develop culture, what the firm is about. uh, We feel that, you know, people working together, you know, physically is is great. Um, uh, You know, we do facilitate working from home, um, but in the main, uh people are based in the office are happy to be in the office and um uh you know we think that the culture and efficiencies are so on are better when people are working in the office and we're seeing that elsewhere with other firms around as well that there's a move now to get people back in the office more often you know, maybe not for five days a week but certainly three to four days a week um and that's for a whole host of reasons for one is for interaction with our colleagues uh, second one is for economies and sharing of ideas better um and thirdly this is for efficiencies as well so um i i, I don't see i don't see it happening that we um a full return to the office across the board but equally, I don't see that, that that you know it'll be sufficiently devolved that people will work from home as you know from Monday to Friday every week. I think it'll be a mixture. And for our business, it suits for people, it suits for us, and you know I think suits for most staff as well to work in the office. You know they learn quicker, and obviously there's a better social aspect to it as well. And so we we we've made that decision, and we're happy with that decision. Talk to me
1: a bit about the whole process of um, you know the last two years up to moving in because uh, you know now the last couple of months work life has been returning to, to quote unquote normal but the whole period during when the office would have been developed uh, certainly when the, the external work and the, the shell was being completed that was under COVID circumstances presumably the uh, design and development of your fit out was all done through restrictions as well that must have been interesting Slash challenging. Tell us a bit about, you know, you got an empty shell and you've developed it into a into a really attractive office. Tell us about that.
3: Well, we hired uh, some great people to assist us on this journey. We um, were very lucky to have a chairperson Eddie Buckley who you know spearheaded the thing with, her, with the development with our managing partner David. And um, we engaged a firm in Dublin to assist us with the design of the fit out. And we had a very good uh, local contractor, a regional contractor here, um, who did the. Um, you know the the body of the of what you see today and also uh, great people from the mechanical side and the the um the plumbing side as well so um with, with great external support we've great internal support as well um you know all the team really rallied around trying to um, prepare for the journey like one of the things that we did was we really downsized the amount of paper that we had in the office um so we've moved a lot of our files now to um cloud storage and uh, previously you know paperwork and files took about 20% of our office space so that that's much lower um, uh, we've also reduced um, our paper usage significantly so I um, saw some stats are internally recently that we, we've reduced our paper usage by 60% which will have a consequent toner usage reduction as well so uh, it did take a lot um, to do that and um, it was certainly of you know business wise um, and and it's a big challenge for all our staff to do that and the day job but we, we set aside teams of people to do various aspects and they worked really well in making all this happen you know and especially on the it front and uh, we're very lucky to have an internal uh, it person that's, that's absolutely the super job and also an external it team that that helps as well so like it, once you plan for things you can make them happen um, but you need good people to make them happen as well and we, we're lucky that we had that
1: Yeah, that's a really impressive uh, paper, use reduction, which will have really beneficial effects for the environment and sustainability and so on. What other measures did you include in relation to to the fit out in relation to sustainability and so on?
3: Well, two of the features of, of this building here that, that were of interest to us, one, one was uh, they have a kind of a, an unusual ventilation system which allows the, the building to be uh, well ventilated, which is obviously relevant for COVID, but also for aircon as well. So we don't have an aircon system in place as such, but the way the building is configured uh, with the windows um, and so on, I, I don't quite know the science behind it, but I know that it does work. And so uh, that's, that's good. It's a to keep the building cool in the summer without using aircon, which is obviously a heavy energy user. Um, and quick broke code. Then we will see in the winter that the building is kept warm in the winter without say uh, heavy um, uh, um, electricity uses either to do that as well. Um, also as well, the landlords are very keen on ESG principles. So um, they, we have uh, you know things like you know water flow, movement, whatever. That's, that's uh, just to have that at a level that's acceptable for cleanliness, but not wasteful either. So um, we were we were interested in that, and like we I suppose engagement with the landlord over the next few years, and to kind of how we can better improve. And the sustainability use of the building, and that's something that wouldn't have been on the agenda of an accountancy practice, I would
1: imagine, a number of years ago. And it's it's quite high, and you're conscious of those different areas.
3: It is, John. I suppose we, we all have to sign up to maybe you know respecting the environment that we live in better, but also there's, there's a cost saving principle as well, which is which is of, of benefit to us as well. So it's if you like a win win there, both on the environmental side and also our own overhead saving as well. So we're we're good with that.
1: Um, absolutely. Um, we just talked about the growth uh, of the of the company, how it's grown since you've been here and how you have ambitious plans to grow it. Uh, can you talk us through that kind of strategy? You know, a simple-minded person might just say, well, do you just get to do more management accounts and, and end-of-year returns for more businesses? Is, is that it or is that simplifying it too much?
3: Yeah, I suppose accountancy has gone like medicine, John. So back, you know, when we all had a sniffle, you know, 30 years ago, went to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, there's a prescription and, and you'd be fine. And the doctors probably back then will probably maybe uh, go beyond, um, you know, into something more complex. Whereas now... Um, you know, like the medicine world. You know, if if you have a if you have a particular issue, be it tax or be it um, HR, and um, the, 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 the specialists are are much more out there. You know, it's people that are more dedicated to being specialists in a particular role. And um, business is also more complex. Like thankfully, Irish business have evolved a lot over the last over the last generation. Um but that comes with challenges as well. And, and managing you know managing business. So um, you know one of the things that we we started here is to provide a dedicated management account service clients that you look at clients working capital and um, to make sure to give them feedback on you know where, where their working capital is etc or stock wise if they're going a bit a bit out that they're not conversing the cash quick enough and um, managing overheads and um, we also have um uh, a life and pension advisor on board now to provide dedicated advice for that to hopefully manage uh, people's uh, their pensions and so on to give them good financial advice on that so it's 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 we're trying to move um uh, not necessarily away from providing account service, that's obviously a key part of what we do, but to provide uh, additional service on top of that, you know, and to, I suppose, journey more with the with the business clients that we have, that, that we can be of support to them, rather than the year end, here's what happened, there's your tax return, and be more with them on the journey during the year, rather than just a kind of a, a report after the year end.
1: So you're in the region of uh, high 50s, nearly 60 uh, staff at the moment. How big do you see the company growing
3: in in this uh, location here in the brew house? Well, we've space to grow here, John. I suppose up to eighty comfortably, and potentially maybe more down the line. So, like certainly eighty would be would, would be your initial target over the next few years. Mm-hmm. And how are you finding uh, the move to this new
1: location at the brew house? You're you're kind of pioneers. You're the first people in here, and it's uh, slated to be a big new business, residential, tourism, and, and leisure district—an exciting uh, um, area of Cook County City.
3: It is, and I suppose when we looked at the plans originally um, with the landlord, we were very excited about what they have planned for here and certainly uh, you know I've been in Kilkenny over 20 years now and when the brewery was here you tended to pass by the brewery and take no notice of it but when you see how big the site is and how close it is to the city centre and it when the the development is completed it'll really reorientate the city back towards the river which I think is a great feature and so all that area between Parliament Street High Street and the river you know that that'll really become a very exciting and very um, people filled place, uh, you know, and it'll certainly add to Kilkenny, so we're delighted to be, I suppose to, you know, you know, one of the first people down here to sort of uh, be part of that change. Um, so yeah, so it, it, it'll be very exciting and over time um, we'll see the, the fruits of the plant come into being and it'll, it'll hopefully be good for Kilkenny as well.
1: Alan Seary there from O'Neill Foley telling us about his firm's move to the Brewhouse in the Abbey Quarter not going too well for Ireland's move to New Zealand in the rugby Uh, New Zealand of course unbeaten in 46 tests at home in Eden Park and it looks to be continuing uh, like that we're up around the 59th minute uh, and New Zealand leading 35-12 and worryingly for Ireland a headline out of the match so far is Sexton forced off uh, during the first Half, so don't like the sound of that for Ireland's prospects in New Zealand. Uh Indeed, but hopefully that's just precautionary. We'll be back after the break and we'll be talking ethical clothing. The
2: bottom line
0: on KCLR with John Purcell, brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie.
1: Now, Anna Daly will be a familiar face to many as a long standing host of Breakfast TV on. On Virgin Television. Most recently she's appeared on her screens on RTE's Hospital Live series but in recent months Anna has reduced her TV commitments to allow her time to develop her clothing brand which is called Little Bliss. During the week I spoke with Anna and asked her to tell me how Little Bliss came about.
0: Little Bliss came about because I suppose I had ideas of, of setting up my own brand for years and lockdown happened And I suddenly thought, I have time on my hands now. Um, I had been working with various other brands, which is always a lovely thing to do, but in a way you're kind of basking in the reflective glory of their success rather than actually doing it for yourself. So I, I gathered up all of the scribbles and bits and pieces in drawers and bags around my house and brought Little Bliss to life.
1: And uh, what were the steps you took? It's a a big difference from having an idea to actually uh, making it a reality. Just talk to us quickly about that.
2: So
0: I I thought most people will know me from, from television, whether it's breakfast TV or, or some other television, John, and what they see is the very glossy, <laughs> I'm laughing already here, the very glossy version of yourself, because my husband often says that the, the, the glamour disintegrates fairly rapidly once I leave the television studios, and I become mum of three little boys. So if I, ever I was going to do a collection that was true to my lifestyle, I suppose, It needed to be a casual collection of stuff that I wear on a daily basis, pardon the pun, but, you know, a daily uniform, ultimately. Um, What I didn't realize, John, in all honesty, and, and, you know, you know this, and and everyone who who listens to your show knows this, you know, timing is everything in business. And what I didn't know was that the world was about to go casual, and I had this very laid-back, easy-going, casual collection, literally ready to go
3: yeah um, so and in a
0: way as, as frightening as covid was the timing was impeccable
1: yeah and every cloud has a silver lining as they say and, yeah. r- and all those other um cliches but at the same time um it was a, a big change whereby we had lockdowns we had uh, restrictions on movement uh supply chain bottlenecks and all that stuff how did that impact on you and how how did you get over those obstacles
0: And, you know, I I had to learn very quickly and I'm still learning, John, because, you know, goods were stuck uh, in the Suez Canal for quite a while. And suddenly that news story meant more to me than any news story ever before, because I was used to going through the paper headlines, going behind the paper headlines with journalists on on breakfast television, you know. But when it actually impacts you directly and your business, it's it's a totally different story. So my husband has been in retail. My husband's dad actually brought mother care to Ireland 40 odd years ago Uh, and that's what I suppose that was the trigger for me as well that they lost their family business uh, one that my husband has been working in for for many years and has been hugely successful in the very early weeks of lockdown because they had stores all over the country with shutters down I mean nobody could ever have predicted that but why would your stores be closed week after week Mm. Um, so a frightening time I suppose but for me I thought to myself I work in a fairly precarious business, Um, you know, there's opportunities one week and suddenly, you know, the project is off the table because funding isn't there or whatever it might be. So, you know, television is not a reliable business as much as I love it. Um, And suddenly, you know, the business we thought was the safest thing in the world, Mothercare, was gone. So I decided this is my time actually to future-proof myself and set up that brand that I've kind of been thinking about and toying about for years
1: yeah and, and talk to us about the brand um, it's it's for both adults and uh, uh, their children um, yeah. just tell us a bit about some of your products
0: yeah so I as a mother of three little boys would have regularly gone into you know department stores children's stores and, and noticed uh, you know this glaringly obvious gap for boys and boy mums in that um there was loads for girls loads for little girls and loads for little girl mums but very little for the little boys and the boy mums so i thought not that i want to do just boys and boy mums but i just thought it needs to be a little bit more inclusive here so i made it a unisex collection for children and for parents uh the colors are completely unisex but also if i wanted to sleep at night i needed to pick fair trade manufacturers i needed them in europe um in a way, Portugal is, the, is where I'm dealing with at the moment. You know, they've taken slow fashion from a whole new level because it's very slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's conscious and it's mindful and it's organic. And, you know, everything I do with the business is never the cheapest option. It's more than likely the more expensive option, but it's the more conscientious approach. And that's why I can go on radio and talk about the product. with great conviction, and I need to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, the the word ethical is right up there. Uh, It's in the first line of your press release. Um, Why is that so important to you?
0: It's so important because, you know, there are so many fast fashion brands now. And listen, I'm not trying to sound all all righteous. I've been that person who has consumed fast fashion for years. You know, I'm the person who bought the top for one night out and never saw the light of day again. But I think in the last few years, I've kind of I'm thinking like a French woman, John. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the the way they shop is quite incredible. And your female listeners, and maybe some of your male listeners as well will get this, you shop. You know, you spend all this time looking for this one fantastic dress for this one occasion, and it's worn for one day, and it never ever gets an outing again. And yet, on a Tuesday, you grab the bali jumper that's hanging off the shelf in your wardrobe and that's when you meet everyone that's when you bump into your ex-boyfriend that's when you meet everyone you don't want to meet <laughs> and, and you're raging with yourself because mm. you know it's all about last minute so actually you know the way French women shop is that they spend money on the jumper for a Tuesday because they live in it almost you know yeah. and all they do for the big wedding is they buy a new accessory or a new pair of earrings or something to go with that classic black dress mm. and I decided I'm going to start shopping a little bit more savvy I suppose
1: Yeah, Um, so do you think shopping and clothing, it sounds like there's a quiet revolution going on in how uh, women particularly see their clothing, uh, both from the practicalities that you're talking about there and also from the sustainability point of view and the ethical uh, considerations, because we've all heard horror stories of third world sweatshops uh, generating fashion and so on. Absolutely, and I hate to think that
0: we've probably all supported them uh, at some point, you know. you have to you have to give consideration to where your product is being made how it's being made who's making it so what i've done is i've gone to portugal myself they tend to do things really really well they tend to the the manufacturers that i'm working with are very small businesses you might find 17 20 people working there they're all part of the one extended family usually um and yes they are quite slow which is a bit of a running joke amongst my own little team but everything is done so carefully Mm. so well and they have all the fair trade certification uh, but also much more importantly than any of that i can walk in their doors and i can film that process on instagram and you you will be hard pushed in a lot of other markets to gain access to where your product is being made yeah that's what i'd be asking other retailers are you actually gaining access to you know when you're you know, themes are being stitched up or whatever. Mm.
1: How are you finding the transition from you know fast moving media career in front of the uh, camera? You haven't left that behind entirely. How are you finding the um, the transition to a more detailed oriented supply chains, looking at the quality of stuff, slow moving thing? I I was reading your journal on your website and I was <laughs> I loved the image of you skipping around as the as the orders come in. You're you're very enthusiastic about it.
0: Of course I am. I mean, you know, you set up something. I'm used to working for other people. I'm used to being on someone's payroll. So you create something for yourself and people start, you know, spending their hard earned cash on your product. When I launched it, it was initially my friends and my family on the the first few hours of the morning. I could see all the familiar names and you fully expect that. You know, that's lovely. But in the afternoon, I saw all these strangers names. And I remember saying to my husband, who was helping me with everything, you know, there's randomers buying my stuff. And he, he was very quick to point out, they're not actually randomers, they're your customers, and I'd be very careful with that. And I didn't mean it like that at all. What I meant was, people who have no loyalty to me whatsoever yeah. are actually buying it, and that's hugely flattering. Yeah. You know? And, and I still kind of wink and nod at people in restaurants who are, buying, who are wearing my hoodies and my sweatshirts. <laughs>
1: fantastic i
0: sure think I'm uh, you know some bizarre woman with bizarre behaviour but I can't help but you know <laughs> say nice hoodie" as I walk past someone in a coffee shop
1: <laughs> look um, how's it has gone from strength to strength uh, where next for uh, littlebliss.com
0: that's a good question John um, I had said when I left Ireland AM that I, I love television and I will continue to do television but they need to be important projects and what happened with that was I said that with, with great sense of purpose I suppose you know, Hospital Live came about, and that was a show that I was really deep and invested in because I thought it was an incredible show for RCE. Um, so things like that have come along, and you, you want to spend as much time as you can on the brand, and then you're taken away for other projects that you really want to work on as well. So I'm at a point where I need to kind of scale up, and I need to <laughs> I need to clone myself <laughs> so I can have, you know, uh, another B. Um my husband keeps reminding me as well. I don't. You don't need to reply to people at eleven o'clock at night outside. <laughs> but and I and I know I don't. But I'm so grateful that people are interested in the brand and shopping on the website that I want to answer them. You know. Yeah. So I-
1: that was uh, Anna Daly there uh, talking to us about Little Bliss, her her new ethical clothing brand, and you can check out Little Bliss at littlebliss.com. Uh, dot com. I loved her uh, line there about uh, customers versus randomers, um, and uh, indicative of a mindset change, I suppose that people need to adopt when they're actually starting to sell to the public. They're not randomers; they're customers. We'll be back talking more about the Irish Open after this break. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR. No change in Eden Park, Ireland, still uh, trailing New Zealand to our 35-12 ahead. We're going to talk the Irish Open golf in a minute, but just a uh, time to give a quick shout out to Kilkenny Chamber uh, Golf Classic, which is taking place on Wednesday, the 24th of August, also at Mount Juliet Station. And it's now over for bookings and you can make that through uh, contacting the Kilkenny Chamber uh, office and uh, it was a sellout last year so get in early. Also time to mention there's a new pilot grant scheme launched to boot boost the night time economy so worth checking that out Um, it's a scheme to help on licensed premises and unlicensed premises etc who operate in the night time economy but we're going to circle back to golf and as we've been discussing the Horizon Irish Open is in its second last day at Mount Juliet in Thomastown and a lot of business has been done in and around the grounds there but is Thomastown itself feeling the benefit Edwina Grace paid a visit to the Kilkenny Town during the week.
0: Thomas Town's typically a busy spot, popular with locals and tourists. And as the Horizon Irish Open continues at Mount Juliet, hopes are high of a boost for businesses there. While a lot of the talk and at times debate has been about the boost for the coffers of accommodation providers, a lot of others look set to benefit. Publicans were telling me of groupings out enjoying the local nightlife. Visitors were using spare time to explore the likes of Jerpoint Abbey, while others were checking out Jerpoint Glass and other creative spaces as well as the products they had on sale. Strolling along its streets around lunchtime, many could be seen enjoying a bite at one of the eateries. But of course, there's always a spend for food and a number of the enterprises outlined the opportunities they're being presented with.
4: Michelle Conway. I'm working Daybreak in Thomason. What do you think of the Irish Open being held so locally? Um, yeah, it's very good for the town and locally everywhere. Yeah, Kilkenny, all over. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's great to have it back again. Like have you noticed increased activity around the town? Oh, yes, there is a lot. Yeah, there's a lot more people around, and you know it is good to have it back again. Like
5: the people who are milling around, is there anything in particular they're buying?
4: Um, it's just basically, yeah drinks and ice cream and, you know, whatever else, and the rolls and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, no it's, it's, it is good, like, yeah. Alan Cullen, Northside Catering, and we're up in the School of Food in Thomastown in County Kilkenny. And you've been
5: drafted here to the Thomastown Community Centre, what are you up to? We have the,
4: the guard uh, force here, and uh, they're um, manning all the roads for Mount Juliet, looking after the golf areas and so we feed them here for breakfast and then we have lunch. Obviously we have a healthy situation involved as well, so we have, uh, you know, cereals and, you know, lots of our own home Brown bread for the breakfast, and we have then, of course, the, the usual full Irish breakfast. That's basically plenty of fruit and that.
5: So, what do you make of the Horizon Irish Open hitting the Thomas Town
4: area? Sure, it's fantastic for the area, like the whole area. That, like, uh, to bring these people in, we haven't seen anything like this for the last number of years. They came last year, but basically, uh, it was a closed shop. You know, and now it's it's great for the area. You know, it'll it'll promote Thomastown big time. You know.
5: And you guys yourselves, you've moved recently to a new premises.
4: Yeah, we're up in the school of food there now, so uh, we took that over there in January. The cooking company is there with us also, so we've now opened up just a little takeaway up there for the hot lunches and just a home cooked meal and that. You know.
5: So my name is Ashika Kwar. Um Our company is called Lecker Food Collection, and we're here in Thomastown in Kilkenny. What do you think of the Irish Open being so close? It is very exciting 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 to have everybody around. Obviously, the the well, good names uh, of the people around here, the radio personalities and stuff as well, so we we'll wait and see, hopefully. Everything will be good for the businesses in the area as well. Thomas Town is a very arty uh, environment, a uh, lot of different businesses in the area as well. A uh, lot of people going through it as well, so, and Thomas Town is, is is known for its lovely gardens and stuff as well, the river here as well. So for the business and stuff, uh, businesses here, I think definitely will be really good here, uh, and we only here just over a month now, so uh, for us it's a good opportunity as well to be here so yeah. And what a time to open a business my yeah. gosh how did you make that decision? Uh, my husband and I are both chefs and uh, during COVID obviously we were um, sitting at home our hotels were closed and like many other chefs we decided to do the farmers markets and we opened up a business from home which is this one and then that was about a year and a half ago and it just kind of escalated from there and that's where we are today so this the shop is the combination of one and a half of hard work at you know through through COVID and then it's just kind of step by step you know this is where we are at the moment and I think COVID kind of changed our perceptions on things as well we just want to maybe have a good lifestyle but still do what we normally do so Julian is French and I'm South African and then we started a combination of those two and uh, that's where we are at the moment with this and it, it didn't really matter whether it was COVID or not for us it was just a, a, a step a stepping stone to the next one you know it's it, we, we did what we needed to do or okay. what we had to do kind of thing and of course it's our interest cooking and 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 stuff so this is what we're doing. So tell people who haven't had a chance to get in yet what it is you do. So we are a South African and French company, as I say, we are both uh, chefs. So we do a combination of South African street food and we do a uh, French patisserie and uh, we do uh, French ghettos and tarts as well. We're still finding ourselves here in Thomastown as well. We want to see what, what people like, what people don't like, but so far the response has been very good. Uh, We make uh, breads daily, fresh breads daily. So we do like a a, a mix of different types of breads. Obviously, we do the French style baguettes and all that kind of thing. And then we do a bit more exotic kind of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Overall, we just want to wait and see what Thomas Towns gives us as well. But so far, like we've had very good responses from everybody. So we're doing a bit of uh, Irish cuisine as well. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, obviously, we want to incorporate everything as well. But we want to do something different as well, which is. A lot of people don't know South African food, most people are familiar with uh, French but we want to combine the both, and you know, and that's what our interests are. That's where we, we are from, so we wanted to bring this here as well. And then to round off your first month, you have a global audience on your doorstep yes, with the Irish exactly. Open. Exactly. So um, surprisingly, like in Kilkenny City itself, there's a lot of South Africans, but in general, in Ireland now, there's a lot of South Africans. And the last couple of days, we've seen a lot of South Africans traveling from South Africa to the Gulf, and they've come through to here, I- into the shop. But at the same time, like as I say, Thomastown is quite a mix of people. So like we, we see a lot of nationalities here as well, and it's a bit of a melting pot of different people and stuff like that as well. And then obviously now with the golf, we'll wait and see what, what it brings.
1: And hopefully it'll bring lots of business to the Thomastown area. The golf continuing until tomorrow, and we'll be there right across the weekend with the KCLR sports team out and about, uh, bringing you lots of the atmosphere and talking to lots of people unfortunately that's all we've got time for this week on the bottom line any comments you can send us to the send them to us at the bottom line at caseylaure96fm.com don't forget about the podcast just search for the bottom line on caseylaure thanks to all our guests this week Simon O'Dwyer Alan Siri, Anna Dalian to all the businesses in Thomastown who spoke to us about their perspectives on the Irish Open it's a great weekend for sport as I said you stay tuned best of luck to Kakenny in Hurling and Camogie and uh, lots of Carlo Hurling action tomorrow Sunday thanks to Edwina Grace for her contribution to the show this week and deirdre drummy the producer thank you most of all for listening edward hayden is up next and we've got lots more to keep you informed entertained and up to date on kclr on air online and across our platforms and on the app but until we speak again have yourself a good week keep safe keep cool and keep the faith
2: The Bottom Line on KCLR with John
0: Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life
3: and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie